Well, good morning and welcome to Life Church. Are you guys excited to be at church this morning? Oh, good. That was better than I expected. That's, that's very good. Uh, well, as many of you know, Pastor Aaron and Tammy are about a quarter of the way done with their sabbatical, and I, uh, I kind of feel like Dwight Schrute on The Office, where he becomes acting manager. He has an emergency org chart that everyone reports to him, and uh, I keep joking with the staff, we're going to stagger lunch breaks to improve productivity. We got a new vision here, we're doing things, no, I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, it is awesome to be at a church that values uh, that values their senior pastor in this way. Uh, over the last several years, uh, we've seen just a, a, an exodus of people out of full-time ministry, and it's been a tough time um, in, in, many, in many different ways. Won't rehash the last few years, but to see a church that, that really pours into and values and says, hey, you've been here 20 years, we want you to be here 20 more, so why don't you go rest and recharge? It, it, that's not common. Uh, typically, when a pastor goes on a sabbatical, it's because something's wrong uh, or there's something that they need to get right. That's not what's going on here, and it's just it's great to be at a church like that. And so it's my honor to be able to speak this weekend. I hope that you've had a chance to uh, go you know, on a vacation or just you know, at least go down to the beach, something that you've been able to relax a little bit this summer. Uh, my family and I, we try to, if, we, if it works out every summer, do something. And sometimes that's going to a cabin in northern Wisconsin. Sometimes that's going on a trip. So this past, uh, about three weeks ago, we went on a trip to Wyoming because I had a family reunion in Wyoming. And we were going to tag on a few days. And so we went to Colorado and uh, just kind of saw the site, stayed in a cabin, and one of the days, if we're ever by a national park, we like to try to go to the national park. I would not consider ourselves like avid hikers. Like I don't have sticks or anything. Like it's, it's not that. I like a nice paved trail, but I uh, like to enjoy the national parks. And so we went to Rocky Mountain National Park. I had never been there before. And so we're kind of planning out the day a little bit at a time. Like we'd go one stop to the next stop and right out of the gates, we get I mean, we were not in the park for more than about a minute, and we see a moose. That was on our bucket list, you know, type of deal. We wanted to see a moose. Then right after that, we see a herd of elk running through the valley. I mean, check that box. Just need bighorn sheep now, and we're good. Uh, so, and, and so it was just awesome. We get to um, a, a little bit further. We came in from the west side, if you're familiar with it, and then we went up to the Alpine Visitor Center which is at like 11,000 feet. It's like 20 degrees colder up there, but a phenomenal view from up there. But as we're at the Alpine Visitor Center, I'm kind of looking at what the next leg of the journey looks like. If you're familiar with the park, you know that the next trek is a, a spot called Trail Ridge Road. Has anyone ever driven on Trail Ridge Road before? Uh, somebody thought, you know what would be a really good idea? We're going to build a road at 12,000 feet. Um, we're going to have it right along a cliff, and it's going to be thousands of feet down, like directly down. Guess what the kicker is? We're not even going to put up a guardrail. It's going to be phenomenal. Everyone's going to love it so much. And just so you can experience the anxiety that I had a little bit, why don't you go ahead and we're going to play a little clip of what Trail Ridge Road Oh, 
like my feet go, get a little tingly when I, off to the right is just certain death. Um, and I'd like to tell you that this, oh, this is like a two-minute stretch of road. It's not, it's like 30 minutes of that. And we happen to come in from the west side, so the entire time, almost, death was directly on our right side. And so I'm like, any opportunity I got, I am cranking the wheel over into oncoming traffic as long as I can, and then a car would be coming, and I'd inch back over. My dad was following us. He thought this was really funny. Like, what is your, what's your problem? Um, I look over, and my wife is uh, laughing silently at me in my anxiety, very supportive. Uh, my kids are, are yelling from the back, there's a herd of elk down, I'm like, you could tell me that there's a T-Rex down there and I am not <laughs> looking out the side. And so anyway, throughout this trip, we drove on many roads that, I mean, not quite like that, but many roads where there were steep cliffs directly, you know, right to your right. Uh, and yet, this is the only time that I really had a, a little bit of fear, and the, the only reason was there's no guardrail. There is no safety net. There is nothing. I mean, it's white line. I mean, even you could put a shoulder in or something, like a little rumble strip, something. You don't even have that. It is just right off the cliff. But wherever there was a guardrail, similar situation, but a guardrail, totally fine. And I say all that because I, I think in life that when we have guardrails, when, there, when, when we know that there is a safety net, when we know that the worst case scenario is not death, you know, the worst case scenario is maybe a fender bender, it, it makes a, a huge difference. Yet the world that we live in, when it comes to moral guardrails, so to speak, does not value them. In fact, um, a lot of times you'll be ridiculed if you put moral guardrails up in your life. If you remember just a few years ago, uh, our vice president, Mike Pence at the time, he, uh, he put in a rule in his own life that kind of got ridiculed a little bit. It was kind of known as the Mike Pence rule, where he would never be alone with another woman other than his wife, no matter what. He would never go into a car with another woman. He would never go out to eat or coffee with another woman. And on the surface, all the married guys in the room say, you know what, that's probably pretty smart. Like, that's a good guardrail to have. Christian or not Christian, there's no good that's going to come out of going out to eat with another woman. And yet, Mike Pence was just ridiculed for that. You know, it's like, what does he think is going to go wrong? And they made fun of him for that. See, our world that we live in likes to put up guardrails halfway down the hill. Like, we'll put a guardrail up, but it's going to be a little, we're going to do a couple tumbles before we get to that guardrail. I'll give you a couple of examples. You hear things like, drink responsibly. The guardrail's a little bit, you know, a little further down. Or, or you'll say to high school and college age kids, you'll say things like, when it comes to physical intimacy, wait until you're ready. You think that's good advice to some teenage boys? Do you really, you know? Or the one that you hear a lot is, live your truth or follow your truth. What does that even mean? That, that, that's where the guardrail is just moving all over the place depending on what your truth looks like. And so our, our world does not embrace this concept of guardrails when it comes to our, our moral and spiritual lives. 
Uh, The Apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians, if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, that's where we're going to be the entire time today, Ephesians chapter 5. But Paul gives us, it's, it's 20 verses, I'm going to read all of them because I think you've got to have the whole, the whole context. But uh, Paul gives us, he gives us a, a snapshot of what, what life looks like on both sides of the guardrail. He says, down here, this is what, the, this is what that's going to lead to. If you don't have a guardrail, here's the destruction, here's what that looks like. But if you'll establish these things in your life, It will create a boundary. It'll create a guardrail. It'll draw a line in the sand, whatever metaphor you want to use, and it'll it'll prevent you from all this destruction that waits for you over here. And sometimes these verses are read as a list of do's and don'ts. Like uh, if I do these things and don't do those, it's, it's like rules to follow, but that's not really Paul's heart behind this. He's just saying if you will put up these guardrails in your life, it's going to be so much better you're going to have a a lot less heartache if you will simply put these things in your life. So Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1, if you want to follow along, let's just, it's going to take a minute and a half or so to kind of read through, but I think it's important that we read the entire thing. It says this, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God, uh, of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in these things people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord." Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful to even talk about these things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right here, Paul gives us, he gives us six things that we should not do, and eight things that we should do. In other words, he gives us six things that lie at the bottom of the hill. That's what destruction looks like. And eight things that if you'll put these in place, these are things that are going to keep you from the bottom of the hill. Just to kind of recap, the, the do nots. He says, do not engage in sexual immorality or impurity. Do not engage in covetousness. Do not engage in filthiness, foolish talk, or cute, crude humor. Do not associate with sinful behavior. Do not take part in works of darkness, but expose them. Do not get drunk. And then on this side of the guardrail, he says, imitate God. Walk in love. 
Walk as children of light. Discern what pleases God. Walk as wise. Be filled with the Spirit. Sing songs to God and give thanks. So today, I'm, I, I want to just look at three of these, and, and these are more maybe categories that represent all eight of these in a different way, but three things, three, three guardrails that we can establish in our life that will keep us and prevent us from destruction. First one, he says, right away in verse one, it's be a child of God. Be a child of God. Understand that you are his dear children. Verse one, it says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. If Paul were to give kind of a thesis statement for Christian living, it would be something like, imitate God because you are his child. Imitate God because you are his child. Now, there's a little bit more context here because Paul, who he's writing to, these words may have hit a little bit different than they hit us today. He was writing to a church in Ephesus, so this church was from a a Greek background. This church would have engaged prior to Jesus, before becoming Christ followers, they would have been uh, into pagan worship. And in pagan worship, what you would do is you would go to a temple of a pagan god, and right away you'd get drunk. That's what you did. Getting drunk was a way that you connected with that pagan god. And then what would happen in those temples is all sorts of debaucherous behavior. There, you know, they, there would be, they would be eating themselves gluttonous. They, there, would be, uh, there would be temple prostitutes. There would be all sorts of vile things happening. You see this throughout Paul's writing where he references these types of things that were happening. That's how many of the people that, that Paul is writing to, that's their background. That they would go into these temples and it was just awful, the things that would take place in there, but getting drunk was, was a key to that. And so when he writes about, uh, to these people, he's simply saying, hey guys, this is, this, is a, this is a different lifestyle that we're talking about all together here. And when he talks specifically uh, that you are his dear children, uh, that's significant. He's, he's saying that uh, you know, in this day and age, what would happen is children were not regarded uh, very highly at all. In fact, the infant mortality rate was really high. 25% of children uh, would die before their first birthday. Uh, 40% of children would die before their, their fifth birthday. 50% of children would die before their 10th birthday. It just, that was, that, just to paint a little more picture of what's going on here, that's the backdrop that Paul is writing to. And so what would happen is fathers would uh, make a determination after a child was born, they would get to decide if they would keep the child or not. And a lot of times if the child was deformed or not healthy, or sometimes if they wanted a boy but it was a girl, they would discard the child. Oftentimes they would leave it in the desert, they'd leave it on the street. People would come get these children and they would raise them as slaves. That, that was a real thing that was happening here But Paul says you are his dear children. Paul is saying that the life of a child should be valued. Earlier in Ephesians, you read that Paul says that you've been adopted by God. You've been adopted into sonship. Five different times throughout Paul's writing, he talks about this concept of being adopted. And so when Paul talks to this church in Ephesus, he's saying what what Jesus did for you is when you were discarded, when you were abandoned, 
he came by and said, I will adopt this child and I will love this child and I will raise this child. That's what God has done for us. You are his dear children. God rescued us from death and he gave us hope. He gave us life. He gave us a new home. And when that sinks in for us, and that's what Paul's trying to get this church at Ephesus to understand, when that sinks in, it changes the way we live our lives. All we want to do after that is we want to imitate this loving father. We want to imitate this good father. That's what our children do. If you, if you have kids in the room, you know this. You've seen your kids copy you and little, you know, it's, maybe it's the bubble mower behind dad going through the, uh, the grass. Uh, one, of, one of my kids specifically who shall remain nameless because they might be in here, uh, uh, he would always take a laptop, that narrows it down, he would take a laptop and a set of keys and he would follow me around and I said, what are you doing, buddy? And he's like, I'm, I'm going to be a pastor so I need a laptop and keys. <laughs> that's... That those are the two prerequisites for being a pastor. You need a laptop and keys. But when we begin to wrap our minds around the fact that we have a heavenly father who loves us so much, and we just sang about it, that he leaves the 99 to go find the one. It's this idea that we have a heavenly father who loves us dearly. It changes the way we live. All we want to do is imitate him. All we want to do is be like him. That's the picture that Paul is putting up here. He says, today recognize that you've been rescued, you've been adopted, you are his dear child. Be a child of God. Second thing, guardrail, that he says is he says, be grateful. Be grateful. Ephesians 5 verse 4. And this is kind of an interesting verse because it's a little counterintuitive, but he says, obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Now he says the antidote to foolish talk, obscene stories, and coarse jokes, the antidote to that is gratitude, gratefulness. It's not, you know, at first glance I would say, Paul, don't you think that the antidote to foolish talk is uplifting talk and godly talk? And he says, no, it goes a little deeper than that. It's having a heart of gratitude. It's understanding how much God has done for you. The antidote to these th- sins, the antidote to these destructions is countercultural. In the United States specifically, this is a hard thing for us. Uh, I, a lot of our needs are met. A lot of our wants are met. And so gratitude can be difficult at times. You can take it for granted. You know, you look at the, the debates that are out there in, in, in the world that we live in, in, in America. It's things like, oh, we got to get a handle on health care. That's fine, but when we realize that 2.2 million children will die this year because they don't have a, uh, access to adequate health care, kind of starts to put it into perspective. Or, you know, it's gas prices. I mean, how much do we talk about gas prices all the time? It's constant. And a lot of times it's like the difference between a dollar, you know, either way or whatever. But like gas price, big deal. But only 8% of people in the world even own a car. You know, it's it's not an issue for most people. Or you could go down the list, whether it's energy independence and talking about how 1.6 million people in the world live without electricity or unemployment and 80% of people live on less than $10 a day. You could go down the education system. Uh, you know, we got to talk, we got to get a handle on that. But a billion adults in the world can't read or write. 
I'm not saying these are things that we shouldn't talk about, we shouldn't debate, we shouldn't get better at. I'm not saying that, but it does put into perspective that we have a lot of our needs and our wants met. And so having a grateful heart is increasingly difficult. This is not a new thing. This isn't something that's unique to America. In fact, Paul, or excuse me, uh, Moses, he gives instruction to the Israelites in Deuteronomy Uh, chapter 8, verses 11 through 14. He's saying, this is the word of the Lord. He's just given the Ten Commandments, but he, he just is giving instructions from God to the people of Israel because they've just been rescued out of slavery in Egypt and they've become, you know, now they're in the promised land and he warns them. He says, don't forget about God. Starting in verse 11, he says, be careful what you, that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. See, when our needs are met, it's so easy to become ungrateful. And when we're not grateful, according to to Moses, we will forget about God. And when we forget about God, that bottom of the hill, that destruction that looks so far away now is right around the corner. Paul says that to stay out of those sins, got to have a grateful heart. In my family, uh, we've tried to instill this into our kids, and so we... Um, haven't done this perfectly by any stretch, but we try to, anytime we pray, it's important that when you pray, you, you thank God for something, you know? And it, it could be anything. I mean, it, early on, I could tell you, we heard some doozies, you know, like thanking God for everything under the, we had one time where one of our kids went on a rant about thanking God for Walmart. Very thankful for Walmart that day, you know, just, I don't know, whatever. But it, the, the point is, be thankful, Be grateful. Maintain an attitude and a posture of gratefulness. Today, let's make that decision that we're going to be grateful. Maybe maybe the the most spiritual thing you can do this week is just just make a top 10 list of the things that you're most thankful for and just say, God, thank you. Thank you for these things. Never forget to be grateful for what God has provided. In everything that you do, be grateful. Grateful. The last guardrail uh, that Paul gives us is he says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18 is an interesting verse. Uh, It's one that I think gets uh, misinterpreted quite a bit, but uh, verse 18 says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now going back to what I, I talked about just a little bit ago, with pagan worship, that was the context. Uh, the church in Ephesus, when they heard this from Paul, would have known exactly what he's talking about. They would have said, yeah, I, it's some crazy stuff happens when you go into the temple and get drunk and pagan worship. It, it's not good whatsoever. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't get drunk with wine because we know that once you get drunk with wine, all this other stuff is on the other side of the guardrail. So just don't do that. In fact, don't, not only don't do that, but replace that. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe a better translation here is, 
because Paul is not specifically referring to the same experience that the, uh, the upper room in the, in, on the day of Pentecost in Acts uh, that the apostles experienced where there was speaking in tongues and all of that. That's not necessarily what Paul is specifically referring to here. That can be part of it, but he's not talking about a, a, an experience. He's talking about an ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit, a, a repeated filling of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Uh, if you keep reading in verse 19, I, I'm going somewhere with this, but because I think Paul is making a bigger point here than, than, than a one-time filling of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about something bigger than that. In verse 19, it says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. So singing songs and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. If you go over to Colossians chapter 3, we won't turn there, but I'll, I'll just read it for you because it's a parallel passage. Paul uses the same language here. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. It's a very similar verse. It has the same output. Both of them result in singing songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Little different wording, but kind of the same concept. But in one, he says, be filled with the Spirit, be repeatedly filled with the Spirit. And in another verse, he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. They both result in the same thing, as if to say, this is all kind of the same concept that we're talking about. He's saying, be immersed in the things of God. Be filled with the Spirit. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. It's this all-encompassing be in the presence of of God and the outcome of being filled with the Spirit is singing songs to God. That's what happens out of the overflow of that. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly will result in singing songs to God. In other words, being filled with the Spirit is in the same category as letting the message of Christ dwell among you. So when Paul gives us this guardrail, be filled with the Spirit, don't get drunk, be filled with the Spirit. He's talking about be immersed in the presence of God. This past week, um, it was, I think it was like Wednesday night, and I had big plans that I was going to uh, get some things done around the house, but I noticed that there, the, the water's not draining in our kitchen sink. <laughs> If you've ever seen that, you're like, I'm going to do a couple quick things to see if this, if I can get this, you know, to work. But I, I've had this happen before, so I'm kind of like, oh man, I know what's going on, and it's the worst because it's where the garbage disposal drains, and if anything gets clogged, it's just, it's messy. It's not good. And so I'll spare you some of the details because it was gross. It was, it was not good. I got covered in all sorts of stuff. But anyway, under the sink, there's that little valve. I, I don't know correct terminology, but there's a little plastic thingy. It's a square, and it's a little, you know, drain clean-out deal, and I, so I open that up, and I knew some water's going to come from the, the sink. It's going to drain out here, and I can start to see what's going on. So I had a bucket. I was prepared, and I have it underneath that, and I, I open it up, and, and then water just starts pouring, and it starts pouring and pouring, and I'm, I'm like, there's a lot of water and it seems like it is going and is almost to the top and then pretty soon it just starts going over the top everywhere and I get top I mean 
the, the, the motions that happen when something like that, I mean, you're like, I, I, where are towels? What's happening? I'm, I'm looking for stuff. I get towels. I don't even know if I use the correct towels. Amanda, I'm sorry if I did not, um, but had to get it cleaned up. But it was this, this, this picture of this bucket overflowing and not being able to contain everything that was pouring into it. That's minus all the gross stuff. Just That's the picture. It's this, this bucket being filled to overflowing. It's being totally immersed, not being able to contain all that God wants for us, not being able to contain everything. That's the picture that Paul's painting when he says, be filled, be repeatedly filled with the Holy Spirit. When's the last time that you were overflowing with the presence of God? When's the last time that you allowed the Spirit to, to really pour over you, so to speak, in that way? That's why when we do corporate worship together, we sing songs together, every time we come together, we don't do that uh, to like as an icebreaker. You know, we, we don't do that because we just like to sing. We don't do that for any other reason than according to scripture, that is a way that we express our gratitude towards God. That is a way that we express. We don't have, we can't contain all that God has for us. That's a way that we simply express that to God. Every time we're filled with the Spirit, Paul says that it should result in singing songs to God. Now, this for me, I'll just be honest with you, this is one of the areas that I feel very blessed to grow up in a family that this was hammered into me at an early age that you sing to God. It just, it wasn't optional. It was something that we did. My mom was a music pastor. And so I was like the little kid that would, I would sit under the piano during worship practice and, you know, rehearsal. And I mean, the, the amount of time I spent under a grand piano, just like, I didn't have devices or anything. I don't even know what I did. I was just sitting there, but that was, we grew up that way. And so Every time we got together, I mean, to this day, every time we get together, we sing together. I know that, that that may not be the family that you grew up in, but that was the way my grandpa led our family. That's the way my parents lead our family. That's the way we just, that's what we, what we do. We usually sing either the doxology or come and dine. Those are like, or, or like amazing grace or something like that. It's something, we sing something together. It's just saying, that's what you do. That's what, the, that's what the expression of being filled with the Holy Spirit looks like. That's what the expression of dwelling on the message of Christ, that's what that looks like. You don't worship in order to receive that, it, you know, anything from God. That's not what it's about. And it's an expression. It's an overflow of what Christ has done in your life. You want a solid guardrail in your life, it's spending time in the presence of God. What does that look like? It can look like a lot of different things, but it's intentional. It doesn't just happen. It's not something that you stumble upon. It's something that you set time aside. Maybe it's getting up a little earlier and spending time in the word of God and spending time in prayer. Maybe it's having some worship music on and unplugging from everything else and spending time just in the presence of God. It happens every Sunday here. That's why I think every Sunday, it's a great opportunity to spend time in the presence of God. This isn't the only place. God doesn't reside in this building or anything like that. But man, it's a powerful time to be able to set 
all the distractions aside, you're here. There's no, you know, like it, that, honestly, we have it dark in here for a reason. So you can just simply focus and you can get everything else out, all the distractions and just say, God, let me spend time in your presence. Let me worship you today. There's no better guardrail that we can establish in our life than being in his presence. Paul gives us these guardrails, not as a list of do's and don'ts, not as a checklist, not saying, hey, just do these things and you're gonna, you know, you're gonna make God happy. That's, that's not what this is about whatsoever. There, we don't do any of these things to appease God. We do these things so that we stay out of destruction. We do these things so we don't go down that hill. We do these things so we can stay on the path, that we can live the life that God has called us to, that, that we can be a child of God, that we can live a life of gratitude, that we can be filled repeatedly with the Holy Spirit, and we can live that life that God has called us to in John chapter 10, verse 10. I love this verse. Close with this. Jesus says to his disciples, very similar uh, concept to what we just talked about. He says, the thief comes not except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have, have life and they may have it more abundantly. That's what God has called us to. He's called us not to white knuckle the steering wheel and just hold on for dear life and I just hope we don't go. That's, that's not a way to live life. That's not what God has called us to. He says, I've called you to live a life and to live it more abundantly. That's what God has called us to as Christ followers. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we thank you for these words that you gave to Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to instruct us 2,000 years later to give us good, godly guardrails to establish in our life. God, we thank you that you have rescued each and every one of us from a life of sin and destruction, that you have adopted us into sonship, that you have called us your dear children. God, we wanna have a heart of gratitude that no matter what it is that we're going through, that we can say, God, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your provision. We have it so well. God, do we take time just to simply say thank you. We do that this morning. We honor you. We say thank you for all that you've done for each and every one of us. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are that God who rescued us. That you are that God who covers all of our sin with your grace and your forgiveness. God, we pray right now that you'd fill us repeatedly with your Holy Spirit, that each and every day is a new day to be filled with your Spirit, that you would immerse us in your presence, God, that we would intentionally take time to seek the presence of God, that out of that would be an overflow of worship to you, God. I pray that that would be the type of church that we are, that would be, those would be the, the way that we lead our children, God, we thank you for who you are and the life of abundance that you've called us to. To live life, not just hanging on, but live a life of abundance. Live a life that's far greater than 
uh, what the world expect, the world's expectations are to just have you know, fame or fortune or whatever these things are that, that people are chasing, God, but that we live a life of abundance in you and you alone. It's in your name we pray. Amen.